0: Oh yes, all aboard. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. This is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, where we bring you everything from high school sports, NCAA, NFL, NBA, HBCU. It's the train that is building up ahead of steam. So grab your tickets, get on board, enjoy the ride and let this train take you on a sports journey it's the a train sports talk podcast your host and conductor Anthony Smith let's get this train on the track and about Be sure to get your ticket
1: you <clears throat> Everybody's got to spend the night So make sure to you be right on Everybody Everybody on a
0: boat Everybody on a boat oh, oh.
1: <laughs> This is Tracy, host of the Moonstar Podcast, and you are listening to A-Train. Buckle up, baby, and enjoy
0: the ride. Woo! Welcome to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor of the train, Anthony Smith. Glad you're tuning in to this podcast as I try to be very informative and give you the best in course news. Well, today we're going to look at the Top 25 AP as well as the coaches' Poll. Also, as a bonus, we're going to give you the FCS Top 25. And as a programming note in my next segment, I will try and attempt to give you a report that I had on my earlier podcast that didn't get fully recorded concerning the MEAC, That's the home of the HBCU school, as I like to show my brothers in the HBCU some love on my podcast. All that and more is coming up on the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. I so hope you have your tickets. Hope you're seated. Let's enjoy the journey. A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Let's get this train on the track. Once again, welcome to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Try to be as informative as I can and try to have a little bit of fun yesterday's podcast it was very entertaining except for parts that get just say we're not put in episode we're going to give you that today but anyway we're going to look at the ap top 25 and the afca coaches poll to see if there is any variance and as i said in my intro I'm also give you the FCS Top 25, something a little bit different, a new wrinkle. So, starting with the AP Top 25, coming in at number one, of course, Georgia. Coming in at number two, a team that had to fight for their last victory at 7-0, Cincinnati Bearcats. Coming in at number three, rolling on up the rankings, coming up one spot, Alabama Crimson Tide. Guess who dropped one spot? Guess it, number four, Oklahoma at eight and oh. Come in, number five, at six and one, the Ohio State Buckeyes. Come in, number six, the Wolverines of Michigan at seven and oh. Come in at number seven, all the way from the Pac 12, six and one, Oregon Ducks. Come in, number eight, seven and oh. Getting ready for their battle, it's Michigan State party. Coming in at number nine, coming up two spots in the rankings. Iowa Hawkeyes at six and one. Coming in at number ten, moving up two spots, Ole Miss at six and one, moving up two spots as well. Number eleven, Notre Dame at six and one, rising three spots. Out of the Bluegrass State with a six and one record, Kentucky. And we're not talking basketball either. Another school that was known for basketball is playing football. Matter of fact, they're the king of the hill in the ACC, moving up three spots. Number 13th ranked, the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Command number 14, also moving up three spots at 6 2, Texas AM. A team that is doing the electric slide down the rankings dropping seven spots after their loss to Iowa State, number 15th ranked Oklahoma State Cowboys at 6-1. Moving up four spots at number 16, also out of the Big 12 with the 6-1 record, the Baylor Bears. Moving up six spots, number 17, Pittsburgh Panthers at 6-1. Moving up one spot to the number 18 spot out of the SEC, the Auburn Tigers at 5-2. Another team moving up two spots, getting ready for a big showdown down the road against Cincinnati. Coming out of the AAC, the Pony Express of SMU with a 7-0 record. Dropping, doing the electric slide, 13 spots down at 5-2, number 20, Penn State Nittany Lions. Coming in at number 21, moving up one spot, San Diego State. After not being ranked, coming in at 22, after their upset victory over Oklahoma State, the 5-2 Iowa State Cyclones. Moving up one spot to the number 23 spot with the 8-0 record, UTSA, University of Texas San Antonio. Dropping 10 spots after their first defeat, and they no longer control their own destiny. With a 6-1 record at number 24. Chantilly of coastal Carolina. And creeping their way back into the ranking at number 25, a future Big 12 team. At 6-2, the BYU Cougars. Now, let's take a look at the coaches poll and see how the coaches poll may differ. Coming in at number one, Georgia, number two, Cincinnati, number three, Alabama, number four, Oklahoma, number five, Ohio State. Number six, Michigan. They all agree right there. Number seven is where it gets different. Nipping on the Wolverine field, coming in number seven in the coaches' poll. Big game coming up this Saturday. Michigan State. Party versus Wolverine. Commit number eight, the Oregon Ducks. Number nine, Ole Miss. Commit number ten, Iowa. Coming in number eleven, Notre Dame. twelve. Kentucky. Number 13, Wake Forest. Number 14, Texas A&M. Number 15, Oklahoma State. Coming in, number 16, the Pony Express, SMU. Number 17, Penn State. Number 18, Baylor. Number 19, Pittsburgh. Number 20, San Diego State. Number 21, Auburn. Number 22, UTSA. Number 23, Iowa State. Number 24, Coastal Carolina. And number 25, running out top 25 in the coaches poll, North Carolina State. Now, we're going to take a look at the FCS coaches poll. Come in number one with a 6-0 record, Sam Houston. Number two. At 7-0, North Dakota State. Number three, at 6-1, Southern Illinois. How about those Salukis? Number four, another basketball school that happens to play football. At 6-1, Villanova. Number five, at 6-1, James Madison. Number six, 71 7-1, Montana State. Number seven, at the, with the 7-1 record, Eastern Washington. Number eight with the six and one record, Southeast Louisiana. Coming in at number nine with the seven and one record. UC Davis coming in at number ten with the six and one record. Kennesaw State. Coming in at number 11 with a six and, with a five and two record. Excuse me. Montana. Coming in at number 12 with the six and one record. UT Martin coming in at number 13 with a five and two record. San Diego State. Correction, South Dakota State. Coming in at number fourteen with a seven and one record. East Tennessee State. Coming in at number fifteen with a six and zero record. Princeton. Number sixteen. From one of the HBCU schools with a six and one record. Jackson State. Look like. Primetime Deion Sanders has them going in the right direction. Coming in number 17 with a 4 and 3 record, Northern Iowa. Let me back up to Jackson State because their climb in this ranking to number 16. They jumped up four spots. Come in number 18, DMI with a 5 and 2 record. Coming in number 19, there are some more schools in the state of Kentucky playing football. How about Eastern Kentucky with a five and two record? Number twenty with a four and three record, Missouri State. Number twenty one with a five and one record. Not only are they smart in the classroom, but they play a little football, talking about Harvard. Come here number twenty two with a five and three record. Another school from Dakota, South, however. Come in number twenty three, with a five and two record, Sacramento State. Coming in at number 24 with a 3 and 4 record, Hmm. weaver State. <laughs> and coming in at number 25 with a 5 and 2 record, Rhode Island. So there's your top 25 AP and coaches poll for the FBS schools. And then you also have that bonus, the FCS schools top 25. So here's what I'm going to do right now. I'm going to take a break. And when I come back, I will have that HBCU game day news. So stay tuned. It's A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. Want to enhance your workout? Try the workout bands everyone is talking about. Three different resistance levels. Light, medium, and heavy. Only at www.cakeybums.com. That's www.cakeybums.com. www.cakeybums.com to enhance your workout. With the resistance bands that everyone is talking about.
1: I'm Nick. And I'm Adam. And we're cheering from the cheap seats, and you're listening to the A Train Sports Podcast. Woo woo!
0: To the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. This is the segment where I go ahead and show some love to my HBCU brethren. And I guess to start this segment off, sister. That's right. The MEAC names a new commissioner. And would you like to know who she is? Well, we're about to find out right now. As the MEAC names, a new commissioner.
1: The Miak has a new commissioner and they did not have to go far to find her. The conference announced on Tuesday that Sonia Stills will take over for Dr. Dennis Thomas, who is retiring at the end of the year. Stills becomes the first female commissioner in MiAC history and the first in HBCU Division I history. She joins Jackie McWilliams, commissioner of the CIAA, as two women who now lead half of the four major HBCU conferences in the country. Stills is currently the Chief of Staff and Chief Operating Officer of the conference and has worked in the office for nearly 20 years. Prior to working in the MEAC office, she served as Hampton's Coordinator of Athletic Academic Support and was the Senior Woman Administrator for the Pirates. Stills graduated from Old Dominion and later received a master's degree from Hampton. Ms. Stills released the following statement via the press release, quote, I'm honored to be named the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference's next commissioner. I've learned a great deal in my tenure with the conference and look forward to continuing the MEAC's history of excellence. Thank you to the MEAC Council of Presidents and Chancellors for this opportunity, and thank you to Commissioner Dr. Dennis E. Thomas for your leadership and mentorship over the last 19 years. For more information on this developing story, you can read the latest at hbcugameday.com. But the MEAC, with a new commissioner, Sonia Stills, moving up and taking over.
0: Second loss in the world. Yes, the applause was worthy. Sonia Stills, commissioner after this year of the MEAC. Congratulations. Much congratulations. So now we look at where HBCUs stand in the D2 football playoff picture. The initial 2021 D2 football regional rankings are out, and two HBCUs are sitting pretty, while a third is on the outside looking in. The NCAA released the first. first. There we go. The first iteration of D2 football regional rankings for determining the 28 playoff participants. The NCAA divides those 28 participants into four super regionals, and the super regions are divided based on geography. Each regional ranking reflects 10 teams in the rankings, essentially the seven playoff spots and the first three teams out. So we're going to take a look. So what HBCUs are included in the first D2 football regional rankings? CIAA and the SIAC compete in the Super Regional Two, along with the Gulf South Conference and South Atlantic Conference. The three teams recognized in the first poll is Bowie State 5-1-0 against in-region team And seven one overall, as the second seed, Albany State seven and one, and seven and one as the third seed, and Fayetteville State six and one and six and one in the tenth position. What is the significance of each team's position? The top four seeds would host a playoff game. If the games were played today, then Bowie State would host seven seed Mars Hill at five and two, while Albany State would host six seed. Wingate, 6-1. and one. Fayetteville State has only one loss. What gives? FSU has two things working against it. First, FSU played Wingate, but lost. The playoff committee uses head-to-head matchups to help with seeding. Secondly, FSU has a very weak, get this, opponents winning percentage, which is classified as OWP. OWP is another criteria used in determining seeding selection. FSU's OWP is .367. FSU's best win is against a 5-2 in D2 shot, and the Broncos are 1-1 one one against teams with a 500 record or better in D2 play. FSU's OWP is poor mainly because of the CIAA South pitiful record, and the South isn't likely to come to FSU's aid to finish the regular season. Livingstone is 1-7, and, and WSSU is 3-3. Three and three. By comparison, Bowie State's OWP is .461 to this point and has a 4-0 record against teams 500 or greater. New Haven, Saginaw Valley State, Virginia Union, and Chathamon. Who is on the playoff committee? Two members represent each conference in a Super Region this year. Reggie Barlow, Virginia State, and Anthony Bennett, Fayetteville State, represent the CIAA. while Tim Bowens, Clark Atlanta, and Linda Bell, Fort Valley State, represent the SIAC. What else do I need to know about the D2 football playoffs? There are no automatic qualifiers like you will see in FCS play. Rather, each team is selected as an at-large participant, schools seated five to seven, could jump to another region to save on travel costs as deemed by the NCAA. In this case, Bowie State could be vulnerable to hosting a school from Super Region 1, while Albany State is likely to host someone in in region given their geography. Rankings do not include games yet to be played. Games against non-D2 schools do not count when qualifying for the playoffs, i.e., Bowie State's loss to Delaware State did not hurt BSU in this scenario. So there's a little bit of news from the HBCU sports scene. Also, is we can pull up the scores. So here's a look at HBCU football scores from Saturday, October the 23rd. Livingstone, 0, WSSU, 21, Fayetteville State, 40, St. Augustine's, 12, JCSU, 14, Shaw, 20, Bowie State, 27, Virginia Union, 0, Chowan 28, East Carolina State University, no, that's the game, be right, ECSU, 32, Lincoln, Pennsylvania, three. VSU, 23. Biggest shocker out of the CIA on Saturday might be Elizabeth City. There we go. Elizabeth City knocking off Chowin at its homecoming. Bowie State held off a formidable Virginia Union, and the rest of the conference went chalk on Saturday. University of Arkansas, Pine Bluff, 3, Arkansas, 45. Bethune-Cookman, 12, Jackson State University, 42. FAMU, 31, Mississippi Valley State, 28. Prairie View, 48, Southern, 21. Alcorn State, 44, Texas Southern, 27. It was a cut. The check day for Arkansas Pine Bluff. Jackson State shook off a slow start to easily roll by Bethune-Cookman University. Florida A&M made a crucial fourth down stop in late fourth quarter to stab off the upset attempt for Mississippi Valley State. Prairie View a and spoiled homecoming for Southern University while Alcorn State waited out weather delay to roll over Texas Southern. And the SIAC. Mind you, that last one I read off to you, those were scores from the SWAT. So now we move to the SIAC. Miles, 28. Kentucky State, 21. Allen, 40. Erskine, 47. Central State, 13. Edward Waters, 56. Lane, 21. Tuskegee, 17. Clark Atlanta, seven. Fort Valley State, 40. Savannah State, 0, Albany State, 30, Morehouse, 20, Benedict, 5. Miles College pulled off a quality victory at Kentucky State. Allen University heads south in due west South Carolina. Falling to Erskine, Edward Waters had no problem with Central State. Lane poured cold water on the Tuskegee homecoming. Fort Valley State wiped the bad taste out of his mouth from last week's throttling. The Albany State versus Savannah State game turned out to be more hype than the game to watch in HBCU football on Saturday. Albany State is the team to beat for now. Morehouse continues to turn things around. It will get a thorough test next week against Albany State. And in the MEAC, Norfolk State, 45. Howard, 31. NCCU, 28. Morgan State, 17. South Carolina State, 13. Delaware State, 7. Norfolk State sport Howard's homecoming in the nation's capital. Morgan State remains winless after falling home against North Carolina Central. And South Carolina State will celebrate its win on the long bus ride home from Delaware. And to close out, North Carolina A&T, 9. Hampton, 30. What's going on with the Aggies there? And Tennessee State, 28. Eastern Illinois, zero. Hampton held serve at home as the North Carolina A&T offense struggled for the second week in a row. Tennessee State took care of business on the road with the shutout of Eastern Illinois. And those are your scores from the various conferences where the Historically Black College and Universities call home well i shall return i have some more coming for you it's the a train sports talk podcast so stay strapped in your seat belt the train is still building up some steam Be right back with you right after this man i
1: remember being so naive when life was good weather and palm trees back in the day you were everything i need but then along came a time when you crushed my dreams. Oh yeah, you played me like a fool when you made me believe that the line between love was ridiculous to read. Oh yeah, you see we in the spare crime everywhere. You're selling false hope cause you just don't care. Nah, uh, you just don't care. Nah, 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 you just don't, just don't care. Uh, you just don't. Still selling false hope cause you just don't care. House, house, house feel feel. If we talking to a uniform, who the real? You know we in
0: Anthony Smith here with A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor. Just want to let you know that this podcast is listener supported. That's right, driven by you, the listener, who wants to support. So click on that support button down there. You have three options, $0.99 cents a month, 4 dollars a month, or $9.99 a month will get your ad rent on this podcast. So click the support button. Your support will be greatly appreciated. Once again, Anthony Smith with the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast.
1: Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table. And you already know you are on board the A-Train. Hang on for the ride.
0: Welcome back to another segment of the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor, Train Anthony Smith. I'm so glad that you're listening to me. Whoever's out there listening, I'm grateful for you. So I just simply want to say thank you. It means much to me. Do I have a large following? No, I don't. Those who are following me and those who are listening to me, I simply want to say thank you, and as I share these links, do me a favor, share them with other people, let's build this train up, and blow up a lot of things. In this segment, I'm going to talk a little NFL, something I very rarely do, but something I've been meaning to do for the longest, so we're going to do it today and what we're going to do we're going to start with a sound clip coming from brian flores coach of the miami dolphins in lieu of everything that's going on with trade talk trade rumors and i had a chance to listen to it and i'm thinking as i'm looking at the guy when he approached the say, he looked like coach mike tomlinson but he didn't have that Tomlinson voice. And I'm thinking, maybe he need to have that Tomlinson assertiveness. He got the demeanor, but we need to hear the in your voice. But let's see what he had to say. Because the headline reads, Tua Tucker-Viola confident in status as Miami Dolphins QB after talk with Brian Flores. Let's see if he sounds confident in his delivery here's brian flores and his comments
2: you know, the players to spoke about after the game you being transparent with him with regards to the trade reports um you know how do you guys kind of just navigate this final days up until the trade deadline with you know reports kind of coming out as often as they have been
0: well
1: i mean I don't really get into rumors. I don't really pay attention to rumors and hypotheticals and this and that. Two um, was our quarterback. I've said that, you know, multiple times and I've said that to him and it's about as, his... I try to be you know honest and transparent with our players and you know, that's what I've been. Flo you.
0: And those are the words of Brian Flores. To me, it didn't sound too convincing. But I guess after hearing a Mike Tomlinson soundbite, nothing sounds convincing. So a mid-report of the Dolphins' interest in trading for Houston Texan quarterback, Sean Watson, current starter, soon Viola was asked whether he felt wanted by the team. He smiled while he answered, I don't not still wanted, he said. That's what I could say. Tucker Viola, a second year quarterback, has played the best two game stretch of his career over the past two weeks, completing 75% of his passes for 620 yards, six touchdowns against three interceptions, and a pair of losses for the one and six offense. Despite his play, Miami continues to be named in reports as Watson's preferred destination. Should the Texans trade him? Before the November 2nd deadline. Following Sunday's loss to the Atlanta Falcons, Tuga Viola said he and Coach Brian Flores had conversations about the reports, and that Flores said he reaffirmed Tuga Viola's status as Miami's starting quarterback. Beyond that, Tuga Viola said he largely ignores any outside noise. I really don't think about it, he said. The only time I'm really hearing about it, like I've said before, is if the communications staff is kind of telling me what's going on within the rumors or if my agent calls me that's really when i hear it other than that i don't really hear it tiger viola said he doesn't have any control over whether flores or general manager chris greer will definitely put a stop to any trade rumors he said he's focused on the dolphins upcoming game against the buffalo bills and that in fact, he doesn't even know when the trade deadline is. Tucker Viola declined to divulge what exactly his conversation with Flores entailed, but did say he came away confident in his place on the team. <laughs> Honestly, I don't base my emotions off of who says anything about me or who is saying what, he said. All I can do is my job and do it to the best of my capability. Everything else? I mean, it's out of my control, but I have the utmost confidence and trust that I am the quarterback of this team, just off of our conversation that I've had with Flo and whatnot. That obviously stays between us, but yeah, I feel very confident that I'm the person. So those are some of the comments in regards to Tucker Viola and the rumors of Deshaun Watson heading to South Beach. In other news, Carolina Panthers not pursuing the Sean Watson deal ahead of trade deadline. Meanwhile, in regards to that, Roger Goodell details why the NFL has not stepped in to make a decision on the Watson's playing status between two civil lawsuits filed against the Texans quarterback. So the commissioner has something to say. My thing though is, I wonder if what he has to say is worth listening. Remember, this commissioner has botched so many things that it's not even funny. And everybody's waiting, how's he gonna handle this situation?
1: Obviously, there are uh, other, um, I'll call it legal approaches that are being made either through civil cases Uh, Obviously, the police have been investigating also. Uh, We don't have all the access to that information at this point in time, and we we pride ourselves on not interfering in that, um, being cooperative as we can to make sure we get all the facts. Uh, But I think that process is still ongoing. And until that process is ongoing and we have enough data and enough information to be able to make a determination of whether he should go on commissioner exempt, uh, we don't feel that we have
0: that necessary
1: information at this point.
0: Part of me, want to say, he's full of hogwash. This is the same commissioner who suspended one Ezekiel Elliott six games on the information of no charges found against him. He botched a whole lot of other things. I was listening to a show called The Odd Couple. You may know those guys. Chris Brizard, Rob Parker. Remember how the commissioner handled Spygate, Plategate, and numerous others? Ray Rice Deal? So part of me want to say, this man, to a certain extent, just simply does not have a clue. Anyway, this story regarding the Charlotte Panthers, Carolina Panthers, excuse me. Carolina Panthers will not pursue Houston Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson with the NFL trade deadline approaching on Tuesday. A league was confirmed to ESPN on Wednesday. ESPN and multiple media outlets reported earlier this week that the Panthers three and four had renewed their interest in potentially pursuing a Watson trade amid the team's four-game losing streak and the benching of quarterback Sam Darnold in Sunday's loss to the New York Giants. Carolina reportedly explored the possibility of trading for Watson during the offseason. You guys know that wasn't from me, Coach Matt Rule said Monday of the report of Carolina's interest. I have nothing to add to that. My focus is on this team. Darnold remains the Panthers' starting quarterback for Sunday's game At the atlanta falcons watson is facing 22 lawsuits alleging sexual assault and inappropriate behavior and has not played a down for the texans this season he has a no trade clause in his contract and the former clemson star has weighed that only for the miami dolphins the league source would not go into detail on why the panthers won't go after watson a decision first reported by NFL Network. The Panthers pursued Watson earlier this year before the lawsuit and before they traded with the New York Jets for Darnold. But a great deal of social media response to a potential pursuit of the quarterback has been negative. It was only four years ago that former team owner Jerry Richardson was fined $2.75 million by the NFL after its investigation into alleged workplace misconduct, including. Sexual harassment and the use of a racial slur with the team scout. Richardson told the team to David sold the team to David Tepper for an NFL record 2.275 billion. Tepper, at least initially, was in favor of pursuing Watson. Sources said. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell said Tuesday that the fall owners' meeting that there wasn't enough information about the allegations against Watson to put him on the commissioner's exempt list. So Watson currently is eligible to play if traded. The Dolphins have been considered the strongest contender for Watson. The Texans' price for the quarterback has been at least three first-round draft picks and possibly other players. League sources said the Panthers were not willing to give up three first-rounders as they try to rebuild through the draft. So there's that information regarding the Carolina Panthers and their pursuit, or lack thereof, of Deshaun Watson. And some more news. Los Angeles Rams owner Stan Kroenke angers NFL owners with financial pivot related to lawsuits on St. Louis move, Lou, to say. I didn't think anybody else could anger the owners outside of Jerry Jones or Robert Kraft let's see about this one it has to be something very serious and I know it's regarding the move of the Los Angeles Rams from St. Louis that's just something that won't go away but I think there's bigger fish to fry but we're going to look at these stories and we're also going to hear some comments because there are some comments to be made so let's just find out just what this is there with me a minute here we pull this up we're going to get you this audio at least I think we are here we go Hey guys, this is Seth Wickersham with ESPN. Um, Just
2: got home after two days in New York City at league meetings. And I thought they were very interesting because you think about all the things that are on the plate right now for the NFL. Deshaun Watson, the Washington football team investigation, um, the John Gruden emails, and the issue that ended up causing the most dissension within the ranks among owners over these meetings were, were none of those issues. And in fact, it was the St. Louis lawsuit that's lasted for four years and refuses to go away. Um, Tuesday afternoon, the owners had a privileged meeting, which means only one representative per club, and only the top league executives were there. And Jeff Pash, the general counsel of the NFL, gave a rundown of this city of St. Louis lawsuit and where things stand. Then Stan Kroenke got up and he explained that he felt like he had done what the league told him to do and he hadn't done anything wrong. And after a little bit of questions, Roger Goodell did something interesting. He asked Stan Kroenke to leave the room. And when he left the room, Jeff Pash told the room that attorneys for Stan Kroenke have notified the league that they think an indemnification agreement that he signed, all of the teams signed that were in the Derby for LA in January of 2016 is limited When he originally signed it, the idea was that it was unlimited, and Stan Kroenke has been on the hook for all of the legal bills in this entire process, and it's reached eight figures for some teams, and teams have had to sift through eight years of phone records and emails, and I think that Stan Kroenke is finally feeling like enough is enough. Um, Not all of this was my fault and I shouldn't have to pay for it all. Now, the owners were not very receptive to that point of view. Um, Robert Kraft got up and he said that he disagreed with that assessment. John Mara of the New York Giants got up and he disagreed with the assessment. And Jerry Jones was really the only person left backing up Stan Kroenke. So what happens next? It is really hard to tell. This was a very divisive issue. It'll be interesting to see what happens. And right now, We have a little bit of time to kill to see how it plays out before the trial starts on January 10th in St. Louis. That is only three weeks before
0: Stan Kroenke's SoFi Stadium hosts the Super Bowl. Wow. So we are going to definitely stay on top of that story. That is newsworthy. Upset owners. Wow. Anyway, <laughs> Los Angeles Rams owner Stan Kroenke might be trying to back away from his promise to cover tens of millions of dollars in legal expenses related to his team's 2016 departure from St. Louis, a revelation that angered many NFL owners when they learned of it too. Of course, the at the, end. the legal update from NFL general counsel Jeff Pass During the owners' first in person meeting since December 2019, stunned many in the room, according to accounts from people who were there and others briefed on the proceedings. The league, through a spokesperson, declined comment Wednesday. A Rams spokesperson also declined to comment. Rams and other owners are embroiled in a fierce four year lawsuit from the St. Louis Regional Convention and Sports Complex Service which argued the league broke its own relocation guidelines, misled the public on its plans to leave the city and cost the city millions in revenue. The league has lost many of its motions and was denied a hearing in the U.S. Supreme Court. The case has entangled all 32 teams and cost millions in legal fees, which to this point have been mostly covered by Kronke under an indemnification agreement he signed as part of the relocation. For some teams, the bills have run to 8 feet. Although Cronk has been in discussions with the league for some time over the scope of the identification agreement, owners first learned of a shift in his position several hours into Tuesday's meeting at the Intercontinental New York Barclay Hotel. Sources told ESPN that executives for each team were asked to leave the room, only owners, representatives for the team, that didn't send owners, and senior league executives remain. Pash delivered a lengthy update on the lawsuit, including the league's latest argument that the trial set for January should be moved out of St. Louis in order to get an impartial jury. Sources told ESPN that Kroenke then stood and told the room that he has invested in the league and done everything that the league has asked him to do. He apologized for the ongoing lawsuit, but argued that it wasn't his fault. Kroenke took a few questions from the room. room. Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones, a fierce Kroenke advocate who championed the relocation and helped push it over the finish line during a contentious vote in January 2016, told the room that Kroenke had done a lot for the league. Then, in an unusual move, Goodell asked Kroenke to leave the room for the show the He did. That's when Pash told the room that the league was notified by Cronk's attorney that Cronk is challenging the identification agreement that all three teams involved in the LA Derby in 2016, the Rams, Chargers, and Raiders signed on the morning of the vote. Over the years, teams have been required to provide eight years of phone records and emails for discovery. This past summer, St. Louis Circuit Judge Christopher McGraw ordered Cronky and five other owners to provide financial records to help a jury determine potential damages. Early in October, McGraw fined Clark Hunt of the Kansas City Chiefs, John Marr of the New York Giants, Robert Kraft of the New England Patriots, and the Cowboys' Jones for failing to provide full records. Cronky has been footing almost all the bills. First, said. The room seemed stunned by Passer's update on Cronkey's view of the identification agreement. Jones spoke and remained his colleague, reminded his colleagues that Cronk has been a good partner engineering the league's return to Los Angeles after 22 years away and building a stadium that some involved in this construction referred to as our $6 billion stadium. Next came Pratt, whose sources say it seems to speak for many in the room, that Kronkin's position was unfair. He mentioned all the legal hassles he had gone through. In 2016, he had served on a six person LA committee. He argued that if providing financial records as a result of lawsuits would be a consequence of serving on league committees, it would dissuade other owners from wanting to be on committees and making consequential decisions for the league. Raiders' owner, Mark Davis, reminded the room that. In 2016, the LA committee recommended a rival Raiders Chargers Stadium project in Carson, California by a 5 one vote over Cronky's project in Inglewood. Morris spoke next and said that Cronky's change in position was ridiculous, and that if Cronkey had not agreed to the agreed to identify the lead, the owners wouldn't have voted for him to move. He said anyone who was in the room in Houston when the vote was taken, would know that. The sources said Jones argued that he had been dealing with the legal issues too and indicated that the problems were not the fault of Franke or the league, but were because one owner's disposition was safe. That owner's name was not mentioned. But in 2019, an ESPN report on the Rams charges marriage detail that discovery in the lawsuit had turned up in email. There we go, these emails again. From an official affiliated with the competing Carson proposed that outline to St. Louis authorities, all the way the Rams seem to be in violation of the league's relocation policy, providing a blueprint for the city of St. Louis's lawsuit. A source close to Cronkie says now that the Rams owner believes that some of the legal issues arise from the snail, and that after building the stadium and agreeing to the house, the charges as a tenant for a one year. He shouldn't be responsible for all legal fees jones and Pash had a brief back and forth Ben jones asked Pash whether cronkey had tried to sell the lawsuit past replied that he had sources told espn jones indicated that Cronky's settlement figure was billions of dollars Pass refused to confirm the figure a source with direct knowledge of the situation told espn it was less than a billion but told those in the meeting that it was more than the net worth of some in the room. Sources then described several owners speaking up. Jim Murphy of the Indianapolis Colts said the owners should call Cronkies back into the room to answer questions from the membership. Jones argued that Cronkies shouldn't do so without an attorney. Art Rooney II of the Pittsburgh Steelers said lawyers should handle all these issues. Mara then reiterated that nobody in the room would have voted for Cronky to move if not for the full identification. At one point, sources told ESPN, Jones seems to indicate that Cronky might sue the league over the identification agreement. Jones mentioned that in 1995, the league sued him over sponsorship deals, and he countersued. The St. Louis lawsuit currently in discovery phase is due for trial on January 10th. Weeks before Crunchy's SoFi Stadium host the Super Bowl, <laughs> other topics during the owners-only session included a discussion about the emails that have been released recently concerning the Washington Football Team workplace misconduct investigation. Davis, who accepted John Gruden's resignation after emails from 2011 showed that the coach had used racist, anti-gay, and misogynistic language asked goodell why he had learned of the emails only right before they were made public although davis didn't accuse goodell of leaking the emails, goodell told the room that the league wasn't behind the leak and tanya snyder wife of wft owner dan snyder apologized to the room that the league has suffered as a result of the investigation So there you have some news coming out of the NFL. And there is so much more to get to, but I can't do it all. But what I will do is, if you come back tomorrow, if you come back in, I'll have some more for you. Some of it is centered around Dak Prescott. Yes, Dak. How good is, is that calf holding up? I'm gonna give you this a little bit and then I'm gonna bring this train to the station. I'm just gonna kinda wet your whistle. Keep you in the edge of your seat. Basically, the story is saying Dallas Cowboys, quarterback Dak Prescott, calf strength, must cross the threshold to play on Sunday. So he's most likely going through some Therapy, so to speak, to see if that calf will hold up. And that might be my poll question. Will Dak play this Sunday? Or will he not play this Sunday? Seems like we've been down this road before. Definitely. I, I think um, Dak has improved every day. Uh, you know, today's plan is for him to. Start in the, all the individual, you know. So he'll be working through the individual in the in the um, fundamental periods, in the group, and into the combo. And then, you know, we'll we'll assess where he is at that point.
2: How do you balance with where he is with the potential to get Cooper more work uh, with the starters?
0: Oh, definitely, I just think it's a, a matter of trying to, you know make sure Cooper's ready and, and and to make sure Dak is getting what he needs. But, you know, until really uh, – until Dak clears the the threshold of, you know, the rehab component with, with Britt, you know, we won't, you know, make that determination of going full go um, until we get to that point. So, so with that, we got to make sure we're getting Cooper ready too. So, there you heard from the coach. So, my question for tonight will be this and i need to let you know that anchor is powered by spotify so you will see the poll question on spotify on that link which i will send out to you will dak play plain and simple will dak play this sunday Well, it's been another enjoyable evening. But my time is coming to a close. So I hope you have enjoyed this podcast as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you. Until the next time, take care of yourself and each other. Pulling the train into the station. Your host, Mr. York you